We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 89 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. We've got a packed show for you guys today. We're breaking down the Gamecocks Garnet and Black spring game. Who impressed the most? Some biggest takeaways as South Carolina wraps up spring ball. We'll also talk Gamecocks baseball as South Carolina goes on the road to Tuscaloosa and drops two of three, falls a three and nine overall in conference play and still not won a conference series in its first SEC series. Break that down in its entirety. Obviously, also have a very, very special interview with former Gamecocks basher Phil Disher as he breaks down his career, relationship with Ray Tanner, hitting five straight homers against Georgia, and much, much more. Before we get into all that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. You guys hear me talk about them a lot, but they really are the best ticket buying app by far. They're the only app that I use to get my tickets. Listen, if you need your tickets to anything, obviously all of South Carolina Gamecocks events, but if you're going to any NBA, NHL, uh, NFL, when it comes back around, college football, concerts, comedy club events, doesn't have to be sports, but anything that you need your tickets to, SeatGeek is the place to go. Be sure to go download SeatGeek. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to get $10 off of your first purchase. They make it super simple. They have the most competitive pricing, in my opinion, because they pull from all of the different third parties, um, and they actually rate the tickets for you based on the ticket rating system, so you know exactly what you're getting before you click buy. It's really that simple. Again, go download SeatGeek, use that promo code SPURSUP, and save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. I'm Chris Phillips. Appreciate you guys joining us today. Like I said, have a very packed show. Going to break down the spring game in its entirety, kind of give some takeaways. Um, who impressed? Also talk some baseball as well. A lot going on. Uh, first thing I want to say, apologize to you guys for not coming last week. It's been a hectic week, week and a half or so for me. Obviously some things changing, and that's the first thing I want to get to uh, before I get into everything else that's going on with South Carolina. You know, there, there's been some changes. There's been some announcements I've been wanting to make. Wasn't able to make them last week, obviously, because I didn't come to you guys live and just didn't have a good time over the weekend. Um, but I do want to make some change or some announcements, if you will, as far as the Spurs Up show is concerned. Um, obviously, I'm working very, very hard daily to make sure, listen, we, we, the reason I do this is for the fans, for the people that have supported the Spurs Up show, because listen, without you guys, we, you know, this brand and what, what I've tried to build would be absolutely nothing without you guys. Um, 
with that being said, I think one of the biggest ways that the Spurs Up show, at least for the podcast uh, section of itself, podcast version can better itself, is to have more release dates. So that is the first thing I'm going to be doing. Um, obviously, you're probably hearing this on Wednesday morning or sometime Wednesday or Thursday or whenever you're listening to our show. Um, you're hearing us on, on the normal release date starting next week. Um, so right after Masters Week is concluded, um, we'll be releasing two shows per week, and that will be pretty much a permanent fixture. Very, very excited about that. We'll be dropping multiple shows on Monday and Thursday. Um, very, very excited. I think it's definitely going to improve content, improve as far as takeaways are concerned, kind of giving an immediate feedback from what happened over the weekend and obviously look ahead to what is coming up. I know that'll be something that's really, really big during football season as well, but figured, hey, why not roll it out during baseball season when you can also recollect, you know, again, what happened over the weekend and take a look ahead as to what ha is happening as well. Very, very excited again. Also want to give you guys, the fans, more of what you want. Our listeners, you guys, again, our fans would be nothing without you. Um, want to give you more of what you want. Listen, you like the podcast. I don't think that's surprising anyone. I think you guys love the guest interviews. So getting multiple guests on per week as well um, is something that I'm really, really excited about pushing. I think it's only going to help us push to be the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Um, and I can tell you this without spoiling it right now, we have a very, very, very big time guest for Monday's show to kind of kick off the, uh, the new era, if you will, as far as two shows per week. Also, probably what you're hearing right now, you haven't heard me mention um, but at least for the foreseeable future is no more Thomas Floyd. Obviously, um, Tom, not on the show right now. You guys have probably heard me do some solo shows before, and it was nothing personal with Tom. Just felt like, you know, I talked with him. We kind of had a mutual discussion. It felt like at least right now for the foreseeable future, uh, it was best for me to kind of continue to push the podcast for myself. Obviously, one of the bigger reasons being, as you guys know, listening to the show, listen, it's no secret Tom's not a big, Tom's not a big baseball guy. And with spring football concluding, I mean, really, for the next two, three months until we get into previewing the 2019 season heavily with South Carolina football, there's not really going to be a whole lot to talk about in regards to football talk. So, you know, I honestly just kind of took you guys' feedback, took some different feedback from the people, and had the discussion with Tom. And again, Tom is still fully involved with the Spurs Up show. You probably saw his article last week previewing the spring game. He's going to continue to produce articles once per week. And honestly, after having the discussion with Tom, we really felt like, you know, that, that's the best way for him to express his voice, if you will, because all of his articles, you guys have really enjoyed them. They've done really well. They've gotten a ton of views, and the, the feedback on those has been fantastic. So, again, obviously no hard feelings because, because Tom is a guy that joined me last year and has really helped me grow the Spurs Up show to what it is today. And, again, not saying it's a permanent move, but for right now moving forward, especially with the going to two, um, two shows per week. You know, I thought that was asking a lot of him as well. Um, you know, that's kind of the direction we're going right now. So, obviously, I'm always very open and honest with you guys because, again, like I talked about, the the supporters, the fans, if you will, of the Spurs Up show, would be we'd be nothing without you guys. So, I think it's only fair to be open and honest. But just wanted to, you know, bring those announcements, if you will, to you guys. I'm very, very excited about it, especially the multiple shows per week. I think it's going to be something that's going to be huge. Again, being able to get even more guests on. I mean, that's, you know, obviously one of my favorite parts is getting to talk to some of these Gamecock legends we've had on and, Obviously, again, just to give more thoughts and give you guys more episodes and, again, give you really more of what you, uh, what you guys really want. So very, very excited. So, all right, with that being said, let's get into it again. Again, I apologize for not coming to you guys last week. Very hectic. I was very disappointed in myself not being able to talk to you guys and preview the spring game, but I'm going to talk about recapping the spring game. Obviously, I was there on Saturday. Um, you, you know, it's funny. I'll kind of start with this. I, I've been a guy, to be completely honest with you, that spring games are – 
a, a little bit pointless. I, I, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but that, you know, it's a kind of thing where if you watch the spring game, it's if one side does good, the other does bad. You don't really learn a lot, right? There's nothing definitive you can take away. But I will say this. I thought Saturday's spring game for South Carolina, there were definitely some things we could look at and say – you can almost put a finger on and say this. Maybe, maybe, just maybe this. Again, we could be completely wrong because I think once you strap up the pads and you go up against somebody else, I mean, I, I don't remember the last time somebody had some definitive, some, some, you know, uh, proclamation after the spring game that was something like, oh, look at this. This came true. This came true. I, I don't think it's one of those things. But again, going to give some of my takeaways who stood out uh, because I think there are some things that definitely stood out on Saturday. I'll kind of first go over what I tweeted right after the game, which was my literally just right after I left Williams Bryce, just kind of the first thing that's popped in my head, my immediate spring game takeaways. And first off was Keel Pollard needs to touch the ball a lot this fall. Listen, he was a guy to me on Saturday. When you just look at him from a physical specimen, uh, just looking at him as a physical specimen, a guy that to me, you know, had some big catches on Saturday. If you want to look at situationally, uh, had the fourth and ten, I was at believe catch from to carry on Joiner, but a guy that to me can really whoever's behind center, which it's going to be Jake Milley to start the season. We all know that, but he can really be, in my opinion, that security blanket. A guy that I don't think saw the field maybe quite enough last year again, or maybe just wasn't able to break in, break into the starting too deep until late. But I think he can provide. He can be almost sort of the next great South Carolina tight end. I mean, Keel Pollard again, a, a guy I really feel like just plays plays football the right way. I mean, we heard that after Vanderbilt last year. He taught, he, I think he said something to the effect of, we have a lot of guys that like to talk. We need to do more talking with our pads, if you will. You got to love having a guy like that on your team, a guy that's just hard-nosed, is going to go the extra mile, do everything, scratch, you know, fight, scratch, claw to get that extra yard, whatever you need. Um, but one of my biggest takeaways from Saturday is that Keel Pollard absolutely – needs to touch the ball a lot, needs to be a huge, huge figure in this South Carolina offense. Again, I think he can be right there in the line of the next great tight ends at South Carolina. He reminds me a lot of a Justice Cunningham. Um, you know, I, again, I, I don't really know why, maybe other than that toughness. When I think of Justice Cunningham, I think him getting laid out over the middle against Vanderbilt and popping right back up and shaking his dreads and being that kind of like tough, badass dude. And I think Keel Pollard, honestly could be that for South Carolina, again, be that security blanket that Jake Bentley needs going into this fall. Um, my next immediate spring game takeaway, kind of a funny one, but that Jay Yurick is legit. Um, Jay Yurick, what a day for him on Saturday. I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me, but what a day for him. Had the long touchdown reception. Um, we saw Jay Yurick out at wide receiver, which I thought threw a lot of people off, definitely threw me off. Um, but Jay Yurick's an athlete, man. Let me listen. Do I, how much is he realistically going to play at wide receiver this fall for South Carolina? You know, I don't really have any idea. I don't even know if he's going to figure in the rotation, but I'm not going to lie. He looked pretty good out there. He, he looked pretty good to me. Um, so Jay Yurick, I mean, does he have a chance to be the number two quarterback for South Carolina? Listen, I, I think realistically, I think it's going to be very hard for him to be that guy, but Jay Yurick, I mean, might be a guy that, needs to be on the field in some capacity because he's obviously an athlete. I mean, he outran South Carolina's entire defense, again, on what I think was like a 60- or 70-yard touchdown. So very, very impressive stuff from Jay Yurick as far as the position switch is concerned. Um, another guy that had a hot topic talk about position switches on Saturday was the carry-on joiner. Um, one of my bigger takeaways from the spring game, again, this is immediately right after. This is one of my other ones I mentioned, is that, listen, to carry-on joiner, whether it be a quarterback, wide receiver, 
defense, whatever capacity it is, he needs to see the field in mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form. Whether that be in a in a uh, in a in a package for him, whether it be like a red zone package or something like that. To carry on Joiner, in my opinion, absolutely needs to see the field. I think anyone that watches this young man play quarterback and listen, I'm going to get to his comments in just a second because I definitely have some thoughts on that. What he said after the game, but. To carry on Joyner, watching him play, I mean, when he runs out of the pocket and tucks the football, it's easy to see. He's electric. I mean, he looks like Michael Vick, in my opinion. He really looks like Michael Vick. He looks like he is gliding. So, to me, it will be almost a disservice where you look at this South Carolina team that last year with Jake Bentley, you know, struggled so mightily in the red zone, had so many red zone turnovers you've got to find a way to get the carry-on joiner involved in some way, shape, or form. And I think the red zone stuff would be perfect. I think some type, some type of red zone package, just giving the defense something else to think about. Because, you know, when you have Jake Bentley back there, he's either going to hand it off or he's going to throw it. I, there really isn't any other, you know, any other options there. But what you have to carry-on joiner back there, is he going to throw it? Is he going to run it? Is he going to keep it himself? Is it going to be a trick play? I think there's a lot of things you give a defense to think about when you have to carry on Joyner back there. Now, one thing I do want to say, he was asked after the game about his possible, you know, possibly switching positions because that's something that's been a hot topic. And, again, I don't have the exact quote pulled up, so I don't want to misquote the young man. But he basically said something to the effect of, I came here to play quarterback, and if I wasn't going to play quarterback, I would have went literally anywhere else. I would have went to Alabama. I would have went to Clemson. That comment, to me, I'll say this. It, it didn't rub me the wrong way necessarily. It hasn't really rubbed me in the wrong way. But if, you, but if you are a South Carolina fan and it rubbed you the wrong way, I do not judge you in the slightest because I can certainly see how it would rub you the wrong way. I know that on Joyner's pissed off and tired of people asking him about the quarterback situation and his situation specifically, whether he's going to change positions or kind of what his plans are. But there's a way to go about it, and there's a way not to go about it. And making it seem like you are <clears> – <throat> excuse me – making it seem like you're threatening the fan base to a certain extent is not the way to go about it. So, to me, I thought on Joyner certainly could have chosen his words more wisely – I mean, again, I don't think, you know, I think what can happen a lot of times, especially with the media asking the questions in the way they do, is that for these guys, it's almost sort of comes off as you're not good enough. Like, why don't you just switch positions like a threatening question? Whereas I would just love to ask the question to carry on, listen, to carry on. Like, I understand you want to play quarterback. and I'm not saying you can't play quarterback, but if you had the opportunity to help this team, maybe at a different position, if South Carolina needs a running back, if they – you know, if this coaching staff came to you and truly felt like you could be a big-time contributor at the wide receiver position or even put you in <clears> – <throat> excuse me – even put you in some sort of wildcat package or specific to carry on joiner package for you, you know, is that something that you think you would be open to? Again, not saying that you cannot play the position of quarterback, but, you know, I think it would have been better for to carry on to position himself Again, as a team guy, and I don't think the question is meant to be threatening, saying, oh, you can't play quarterback. Like, this is what we're saying. I think it's just, like, everyone wants to see this guy get on the field because he is so electric with the football in his hands in regards to his running. Um, Finally, my, you know, last immediate spring game takeaway that I tweeted on Saturday, I kind of – I will get back to the carry-on stuff in just a second, but – 
the last thing I said was that USC is best off going young at running back, and I fully 100% stick behind that. Listen, I know Rico Dowdle did not play. He's been banged up all spring, which, I mean, Rico Dowdle, he's been banged up pretty much his entire career. Um, A.J. Turner, I believe, was the first running back to go out. Obviously, Tyson Williams transferred. I thought Kevin Harris looked really, really good on Saturday. Um, Deshaun Fenwick, sort of hit or miss, if you will. Um, Mon Denson was solid. He was just sort of Mon Denson, as we've seen before. But I think overall, again, I stick to exactly what I said. I think South Carolina at this point is honestly best off going young at the running back position. Because, listen, you know, and <clears throat> excuse me, we didn't see a whole lot of a running game on Saturday. And it doesn't really surprise me. Um, you know, Will Muschamp said that Saturday was more for the quarterbacks and kind of show off their arms. I mean, listen, when you're in a spring game, it's going to be very, very vanilla. And there's just not going to be a lot of huge plays broken off. And the defense almost sort of knows what's coming. But, you know, overall, we've seen Rico Dowdle. We've seen – well, Tyson Williams is gone. We've seen A.J. Turner. We've seen Mondens. You sort of know – what you're going to get out of those guys. And, again, I know Thomas Brown is coming. I'm very, very excited. I was excited when Thomas Brown was hired. I thought he would really change the running back position. But there's only so much he's going to be able to do with those guys. Just simply put, there's only so much he's going to be able to do. So, for me, I just think you look at a guy like a Kevin Harris. Listen, I know he's a true freshman, and, you know, he'd be asking a lot of a true freshman to come in and be your starting running back and be sort of that guy. But, um, you know, really – Again, when you look with what South Carolina is working with, I truly thought that this spring would be a great opportunity for a guy like Deshaun Fenwick to take the starting role, a guy that looked very, very good in limited action last year. Granted, it'd be against Chattanooga. I thought and still think there's a great opportunity for a guy like a Deshaun Fenwick to take the starting role. Now, Thomas Brown has talked about he's just kind of inconsistent right now. Um, I don't think Kevin Harris is going to be some guy who – is necessarily a home run threat, but is a big bulldozer type back back there, really a bowling ball, if you will, that it's going to be hard to get him down off first contact. In my opinion, what is it going to hurt to give these younger guys the, the, the opportunity to be the feature back? Because again, we've seen Rico, we've seen AJ, we've seen Mon Denson. And again, maybe Thomas Brown has that formula with how he's going to use these guys that he's going to be able to bring the best out of him. And listen, I hope that happens because South Carolina desperately needs a running game, but in my opinion, I just think at this point, it may be in South Carolina's best interest to go young at the running back position with a guy like Kevin Harris or Deshaun Fenwick. I just really think, um, you know, that is that's going to be their best route. Um, all right, so I'll go over some of my other big takeaways from the spring game. My first one, Shy Smith. Um, I talked about one of my biggest questions before the spring game is who can be sort of that playmaker guy that takes over takes over for Debo Samuel. Again, it's going to be huge shoes to fill, and again, this is something. We're not going to know until the season gets kicked off who can step up under the lights and be sort of that guy. But I think we just saw on Saturday that Shai Smith certainly has that capability. And Brian Edwards did not play in the spring game. A lot of veterans did not play in the spring game. But Shai Smith was a guy that did play, and I, I thought he looked fantastic. I mean, he's a guy, again, every time he touches the football, he's a threat to, go, to, to, to take it to the house to be a home run threat. And I think Shai Smith honestly can be that guy that fills the shoes of the departed Debo Samuel, who's probably going to go in the first round of the NFL draft in a couple of weeks. So I definitely think Shai Smith showed his explosiveness, if you will. Again, I'm not sure that's going to be a question that's really answered until we get to kick off, until, again, we get under the lights and we get under the pressure and you really see just kind of who steps up in the big moments. But I think Shai Smith can be that guy. Um, everybody's probably wondering, why haven't you talked about Ryan Holinsky yet? Well, I'm getting to Ryan Holinsky right now. 
obviously one of my other big takeaways, everyone was very, very excited. I got it on video and Ryan Helensky finally made his, I guess, South Carolina debut, if you want to call it that, in the spring game, his first time on the field for the Gamecocks. Um, had a huge ovation. Um, but to me, after watching Ryan Helensky, he he is or will be, or really both. He, he's, he's as good as advertised. And he's going to be, in my opinion, as good as advertised. Listen, Ryan Helensky, a guy with tremendous, tremendous arm talent, has a natural moxie on the field, a guy that is a true natural-born leader, but when you simply, I think, what was he, eight for eight on his first eight throws or something like that. And, again, they were very, very easy throws. I don't think there were many throws that Ryan Holinsky made that will blow you away. I will say the one I was most impressed with, again, I was in the building on Saturday. I was in the north end zone, which would be the student section, and Ryan Holinsky was coming towards me. He had a play where he rolled to his left. Um, so, against, I guess, not on his arm side, if you will. I think that's how you say that. Anyways, rolled to his left. He's a right-handed quarterback. Rolled to his left. Josh Van coming across the field. Throws a dart and hits Josh Van for what looked like a 15, 20-yard gain. That type of throw to be able to hit a guy in that type of traffic and make that throw on the money, I, I just I, I think it's obvious. Ryan Holinsky has big-time serious arm talent. And, I, you know, I, I'm obviously very, very excited. I know everyone's excited for Ryan Holinsky. Again, I don't think he's going to – you know, I don't think he's going to be the starting quarterback in 2019. I definitely think he deserves to play. Um, again, I know the number two quarterback situation's not exactly figured out. There really hasn't been an announcement. It's something that's going to carry into carrying the fall camp. I think most people expect Ryan Holinsky to take that number two starting quarterback job or number two quarterback position on the depth chart, if you will. But Ryan Holinsky, definitely very, very, very talented. I was actually able to talk to someone before the spring game on Friday. Um, Someone very, very close to the football program who's been at practice who actually told me they believe Ryan Holinsky, without a doubt, will be better than Jake Bentley by his senior season. Again, that is no knock on Jake Bentley, but simply just a compliment to the talents of Ryan Holinsky. So very, very, very exciting stuff. And again, I, I think he just he just looked the part. I mean, guy was every bit the physical specimen, kind of the the big time size guy we knew. And and, and overall, I mean, his arm looked fantastic, no doubt about that. Um, one of my other big takeaways from the spring game and Again, this – I know it's it's coming almost less from the spring game, more so just how I feel about this team. But I really, truly do believe that the the South Carolina defensive line should be a strength for South Carolina this fall. Um, <clears throat> again, excuse me. Again, the Carolina defensive line should be a strength come this fall. I mean, you think about the guys that did not practice this spring. Um, Javon Kinlaw, obviously the huge one for South Carolina. The guys that I saw on Saturday – as far as Ricky Sandage, J.J. Nigbari, I thought was all over the place. Keir Thomas, like he'd gotten better. Uh, Jabari Ellis, you know, I think South Carolina is going to have some big-time depth on the defensive line. Joseph Anderson, um, I'm very, very excited for the South Carolina defensive line. I think they've had as much depth as they had there in a long, long time. I'll go ahead and get to who impressed me the most because I already mentioned one of them. One of the guys that impressed me the most was defensive lineman J.J. Nigbari, a guy that was really all over the field, again, as a physical specimen. Um, a dude that, again, I thought had a solid freshman campaign, but he obviously, again, was forced into action early like a lot of young Gamecocks. I just mentioned Ricky Sandage, but, man, I, I really think J.J. Nibari is set up for a breakout season in 2019, I thought he was very, very impressive on Saturday as well. Um, linebacker Derek Boykins is a guy that everybody's talking about. We actually had an article come out on the Spurs Up show by our good friend, Alex, Alex Costantino, uh, today or yesterday, whenever you're listening to this. Um, 
he talked about Derek Boykins a little bit, and Derek was certainly one of the most impressive guys on Saturday. A guy, again, very, very impressive physically to be a true freshman. A dude that was all over the field was definitely very physical at the goal line with a fre- another freshman in Kevin Harris. Um, you know, I-, I was very impressed. Again, South Carolina at a position of need at the linebacker position. I mean, you look specifically – T.J. Brunson did not practice all of spring, so I thought that really gave an opportunity for guys like Derek Boykins, Ernest Jones, to sort of step up and sort of beat Sherrod Green also. To be those guys in there, though, for South Carolina, because, again, linebacker was such a brutal position for South Carolina last year. I thought Derek Boykins looked very, very good for South Carolina on Saturday for sure. Um, I already talked about him tight end, Keel Pollard. Uh, Keel Pollard was a guy that definitely impressed me a lot on Saturday. Again, I don't have his official stats pulled up, but he made some big-time catches and some big-time situational moments, if you will. Again, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone. I don't think anyone's surprised that he impressed on Saturday. But Keel Pollard, a guy just to me, again, a guy that is very, very, very sneaky good and probably won't be getting any accolades coming into this season. Probably nobody will be talking about him. But a guy that I think could have a huge, huge year for South Carolina in 2019. Um, and then lastly, who impressed me, again, another guy who's gotten a, caught a lot of praise um, was safety Jamel Cook. Now, the funny thing about Jamel Cook is, again, the same person that I talked to about, Ryan Holinsky. I talked to you about Jamel Cook as well Friday before the spring game. Again, someone that is in the program, that has been around every single practice for South Carolina that would know firsthand, just so you know where this is coming from. But I asked him specifically about Jamel Cook and how he thought Jamel Cook looked. His response to me was simply this, quote, this summer is going to be big for him. So when you hear that, I mean, you think to yourself, okay, well, he's still got a lot to work to do. And that's basically what he said is that, you know, he was this highly touted recruit and he's done well, but you can tell he's sort of lost half a step from Southern Cal. You know, being out of game action for an entire year um, obviously hurts guys. I mean, it's very, very tough to be out of game action for an entire year. I mean, practice is practice, scrimmages are scrimmages, but being on the field and playing in the you know, in the trenches, in the battle, if you will, it's completely different. Jamel Cook very much so, though. Jamel Cook very much so, though, impressed me on Saturday. Um, a guy, again, that had a huge pick in the red zone against, uh, I think it was off to carry on Joyner, had a big-time hit on a carry on Joyner throw, I believe it was. Um, a guy that was just flying all the field, though, for South Carolina. And, again, you know, the Gamecocks looking for as much depth as they can find in the secondary. I think a guy like Jamel Cook is certainly someone that, gives them, you know, you think of this South Carolina secondary, gives them a another huge dynamic. I mean, you already have Israel Mukwamu, the corner that's 6'4". You add in Jamel Cook, who is also 6'4". Um, you add R.J. Roderick next to him, Jalen Dickerson in that mix, J- uh, Jamias Williams in that mix. Um, I know I'm probably forgetting someone, but overall, I think Jamel Cook can be a big-time playmaker for the South Carolina defense. And I was very, very, again, very impressed with him. I know a lot of people walked away from Saturday's spring game talking about Jamel Cook because of the highlight plays he made. And I think it's someone that's uh, – that's something very positive for him to build on is I know those guys, you know, in the secondary, man, there's only a couple of spots locked up. We obviously know about J.C. Horn and uh, – J.C. Horn and Israel Mokwamu. I know Coach Muschamp talked last week as well kind of who his starting secondary would be. He did mention Jamel Cook, but not as the starter. Um, so, I, I think I think Saturday was a great building block for Jamel Cook, again, in a position that – the secondary should be one of the strongest position units on South Carolina's team. But, again, I think you're looking at depth as a place that could be a little bit of concern. So, I think Jamel Cook balling out in the way he did can only mean positive things for South Carolina as you move into the summer and then go back into fall camp and kind of set your two deep. Um, okay, so that's pretty much going to wrap it up for the spring game. And if you have any, If you guys have any comments, questions, 
Uh, any feedback, let me know, obviously, at the Spurs Up Show, at Philly 19 as well. Um, obviously, there's a ton to take away from the spring game. And, and on the flip side of that coin, there's really nothing to take away because I will just fight with anyone to the death that I really don't think the spring game matters all that much. The biggest thing, the most successful thing that happened in Saturday's spring game, in my opinion, is that nobody got hurt. That is definitely by far the best thing that happened to South Carolina football. But obviously very, very exciting and obviously always good to talk football. And obviously I know everyone is very pumped now as we move closer and closer to kickoff against North Carolina in Charlotte. All right, so let's talk some Carolina baseball. What in the world is wrong with this South Carolina Gamecocks baseball team? Listen, before I get into everything, you guys know I am the biggest advocate, supporter, promoter of South Carolina baseball. You know, I've two years in a row gone on a rant saying the committee completely got it wrong, not ranking South Carolina. I said it this year, even with the questions South Carolina had, you know, I've been, you know, and I still am fully supportive of Mark Kingston. And, but I've got to be completely honest with you guys. This, this thing has gotten a little bit out of control. Um, South Carolina goes on the road to Tuscaloosa in a series that, again, I, I thought they absolutely had to win had to win I'm just there's no other way to put it absolutely had to win South Carolina goes on the road to Tuscaloosa and not only do they not win they lose the first two games on Friday lose the first game in embarrassing fashion uh overall the final score was nine nothing but I believe they were down seven nothing or eight nothing by the third inning um you throw Reed Morgan in that second game can't get the job done South Carolina's offense scores one run in two games you lose four one and you go into Saturday with the series already lost, and I think a lot of people coming into Saturday saying the baseball season is basically over. Um, I will say this, talking about that series, very, very proud of the way South Carolina fought back on Saturday to get the extra innings win. I mean, this is a team that could have easily, easily folded on, on Saturday, especially with, I mean, listen, you you, you know, you had Kim, Cam Tringali throwing. I mean, you're not exactly throwing out, you know, He's been very, very good for South Carolina this year, but you had every reason to fold it up and go home. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind you had every reason to fold it up. That's the one thing I will give Mark Kingston and his staff and this team is that they have never quit. I definitely, you know, agree with Mark Kingston's comments that it isn't a question of want to or effort or fight or anything like that. I really don't think it has anything to come down to. But I've talked about this with you guys before. When you're going into SEC play and you are starting a true freshman on a Friday night, and you are starting a TBA on a Sunday or your game three, if you will, you are in serious, serious, serious trouble, especially when you have a lineup like South Carolina's that is inconsistent as it is. I mean, not only does it live and die by the home run, but it's just flat out inconsistent in general when hits come in bunches and things of that nature. I know a lot of people thought that South Carolina was really going to pick up some momentum after last week. You beat NC State and Charlotte. Um, and, man, I mean, it just really fell apart for you if you're South Carolina on Friday. Um, overall, I thought Danny Lloyd – listen, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. And, again, I, I like Mark Kingston, the staff, a lot. But I think one of the biggest things that disappoints me – and, again, the lineup has not been good enough. The lineup has not been good enough. But I, I've just been – I'm still perplexed about some of the pitching – about some of the pitching decisions – that this staff has made. Again, listen, I feel like I should just stop talking about it because it's never going to change. They've obviously shown they're not going to change it. But why Reed Morgan is not starting, is not your Friday night guy or your game one starter, is maybe the most mind-boggling thing I have ever seen in my entire life. Because what you saw this past weekend, let me put it to you in this perspective. 
what you saw this past weekend is what I feared the most. Because, listen, I think kind of what the, the mentality of this coaching staff is right now is, okay, listen, we're going to throw – we're going to roll the dice on Friday and Sunday. Game one, game three, we're rolling the dice. We've got these guys that they're high ceiling guys, but they're young, they're unproven. Let's roll the dice. And then we've got our number one, our ace, Reed Morgan, going up against the other team's number two. I think that's the mentality. I really, truly believe that's sort of the thinking. Here's the problem with that logic. When you go into a series like you went into last weekend and you roll the dice on Friday and you lose, and you lose badly, you, you lose that gamble badly, Reed Morgan is going to have his off days. I mean, Reed Morgan's not perfect. He's a pitcher. He's a college pitcher. He's going to have his off days. And, again, listen, I'm not excusing the South Carolina hitting. I'm going to get to that in just a second. But because of my pitching background, my pitching roots, I'm much, much harder on the pitching. Because, listen, you look at the best teams in the country, the best teams in the SEC, dominant pitching wins. It, dominant pitching beats dominant hitting every single time. So the, the pitching decisions, if you will, um, to me, again, there, and that was the thing that, that really worried me is that you keep Reed Morgan this, this Saturday or this game two role, he's going to run into an outing where he has an, hey, he has an unorthodox outing, if you will. He's not like himself and gets beat. Now you've put yourself in an 0-2 hole and you won game three. You won game three. Now, listen, I'm not saying this past weekend that if Reed Morgan would have thrown excuse me, if if Reed Morgan would have thrown Friday instead of Saturday, South Carolina wins two of three. I'm not saying that because the bats bats simply were not good enough. I mean, you get shut out in game one, you score a run in game two. Bats weren't good enough in either game. But the the mindset to wait until game two to throw your best guy is maybe the most mind-boggling thing I've ever heard of because – I'll tell you guys, this is my if, – if I'm Mark Kingston or if I'm a baseball coach, if I'm a coach of any kind, especially in baseball, this is my strategy and this is my philosophy. You play to win today. Simply put, you play to win today. It doesn't matter if you have to throw Reed Morgan, Brett Carey, Cam Trangali, Sawyer Bridges, literally everyone. If you've got to throw everybody, you play to win today. You worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, because tomorrow doesn't even exist yet. Tomorrow's not going to happen yet. You play to win today. You do not go down with your best guy, with your ace in the hole. You just don't. And Brett Carey is another perfect example. How, how they're holding Cam Trangali, TJ Shook, Brett Carey, they're holding all these guys until game three. Listen, Brett Carey either needs to be a starter or he needs to be your closer full time. This middle inning relief thing he's doing, that it's a it's wasting his his it is wasting what he's done this year. It's wasting what he's done this year for South Carolina because, I mean, listen, man, again, you're just you're you're letting uh, South Carolina listen right now. The way that this is set up with its pitching staff, and again, blame it on the hitting as well. The hitting is not the situational hitting is bad. The situational hitting is so bad, and South Carolina lives by the home. Lives and dies by the home run so badly. It's so inconsistent. But I can tell you this, with this current setup, and I don't know who South Carolina is going to start on Thursday against Florida. I was going to get to that in just a second. I have no idea who South Carolina is going to start Thursday against Florida. But I can tell you, it would not shock me to this point. At this point, it would not shock me if South Carolina did not win a Friday night game or a game one all season. It wouldn't. It just You are not going to beat the guys in the SEC 
these other teams are throwing on Friday with the guy you're throwing. I don't care how good Danny Lloyd is. I, I love Danny Lloyd. I think he's got fantastic stuff. He's got phenomenal stuff. But you're asking a true freshman to go toe-to-toe with many guys that are three- to four-year veterans who are big league type of arms. I mean, listen, Florida is 4-8 and eight in SEC play right now. They just got swept by Ole Miss. But I guarantee you they're going to trot out three guys this weekend. Would not shock me if they all three got drafted. I guarantee you their Friday night guy gets drafted and is probably in the big leagues in the next three to four years. So you just – to me, you're, you're just putting yourself behind the eight ball every single weekend. And, and you're – I mean, what are you saving Reed Morgan for? What are you saving Brett Carey for? Why, why is Brett Carey not throwing until Sunday? What, why is that happening? And, because again, this – I understand that pitching – the South Carolina pitching staff has dealt with so many injuries – but even with the injuries, like, there has to be some sort of establishment of roles with this team. There has to be some sort of establishment with roles. Now, I'll move to the hitting because, like I said, I kind of feel bad. I'm piling on the pitching staff right now. The hitting's been terrible. I mean, the hitting has been playing out awful. South Carolina, again, it's sad. You take a look at the statistics. I know as of last weekend, this was true. This is probably the same after this weekend. South Carolina's last in ERA, last in batting average. I mean, that's a perfect recipe for a 3-9 to nine SEC record and haven't won a single SEC series. But South Carolina, I mean, right now, I think right now as a team, I'd have to pull it up. I'd imagine they're hitting right at, say, 250 as a team. Yeah, I'm getting it pulled up right now. Um, Gamecocks hitting 243. 243 as a team. Now, they've got 52 home or Yeah, 52 home runs. They've got 52 home runs. But, dude, you're not going to beat anybody hitting 243 as a team. South Carolina with a 4.5 ERA. You combine a 4.5 ERA and a 243 batting average, you get 3-9 and nine in the SEC. And, and listen, I, I mean, I told people if South Carolina lost the series to Alabama, you, you have my permission to hit the panic button. It's 100% time to hit the panic button. Listen, I was watching South Carolina play Charlotte tonight. South Carolina got the win to 5-3. to three. That's fantastic. I don't even care. I don't care. I want to see this South Carolina team go win an SEC series. And listen, I'm not piling on South Carolina saying they don't care. That it's, their, you know, it's their fault. They're not trying. But, I mean, I just think there's been mismanagement all the way around and guys who just have not stepped up and, and played their potential. I mean, it's, it's, it's been brutal. It's been brutal to watch. There's, there's not many things worse to watch than bad baseball. And South Carolina has been a bad, bad baseball team. Now, just, listen, the, the odds are slim. Um, the odds are very, very slim. I said that after last weekend against, uh, you know, I, I said after last weekend after South Carolina lost to Auburn two of three. Gunned to head right now, I don't think South Carolina makes the postseason. Right now, I 100%, I don't think South Carolina makes the postseason. There's not a chance. They'd have to finish 500 or better in SEC play. You're three and nine. So, basically, you have to win, what? You've got to win uh, 13 of your next, what, 20? Is that right? 13 of your next 20? Yeah, 13 of your next 20, and you still play Florida, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and Texas a and I mean, you, you do the math. You basically got to win all those series. I will say South Carolina has a chance, though, to, to bounce back this weekend. 
The, the terrible thing is you go on the road to Gainesville, you play a Gators team that just got swept. They're going to be very, very motivated, obviously, in Gainesville again, Thursday, Friday, Saturday series once again. But Florida, I mean, Florida's a team. I mean, this is shocking to me. Four and eight in SEC play. I know Gators fans are kind of losing it down there right now as well. Um, so, they, I mean, there's a chance to, to turn it around. But one of the biggest questions I have, you know, is this season really still salvageable at this point? Um, I had someone, I'll be completely honest with you guys. I'll be transparent. I had someone text me over the weekend, uh, or maybe it was tweet at me. They said, what do you do? Like, what, what, what do South Carolina fans do right now? South Carolina baseball fans, what do you do? Honestly, you grin and bear it and you get ready for 2020. I, I just think that's the point you're at. I, I just, I, you know, Carmen Majinski's not going to come back in time to save this season. And until South Carolina shows me that, they can go win an SEC series and really put it all together, pitching, hitting defense, you know, all that good stuff. I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to pick them to win an SEC series. I mean, you know, it's, it's tough because I, you could argue this is South Carolina's one of their worst teams since 2000. There's no question. And it's a shame when you look at some of the talented guys on this team, TJ Hopkins, Noah Campbell, I think Luke Berryhill's got some talent. I mean, you look at the arms. Reed Morgan's a phenomenal arm. Brett Carey, what he's done. Cam Tringali's a good arm. But South Carolina, for whatever reason, just has not been able to put it together. So this weekend, every weekend for South Carolina will be very interesting, and every weekend is a must-win. I mean, there's no question. You have to win basically every series you have left. So you have, let's see, you have your three and nine, twelve. You have six series left. You have six series left. You really have to. You have to win every series. If you, the only way you can even think about getting away with it, losing two of three is if you sweep both Kentucky and Missouri. And, I mean, South Carolina hasn't won an SEC series yet. So, what in the world would make you think they're going to sweep anybody? So, again, should be very, very interesting. That's my rant on South Carolina baseball right now. But, again, if you're a South Carolina baseball fan, trust me, it's frustrating. Because I And trust me, I, I'm as frustrated, if not more frustrated than anybody, because I know I'm going to watch every single game left. I'm going to watch every game left. And there's nothing worse than South Carolina baseball missing the postseason. It's the most lonely feeling in the world. There's nothing worse. So, I mean, I'm praying to God South Carolina finds a way to get it turned around. I still believe in Mark Kingston fully, but I think it's okay to question some of the decisions that have been made, 100%. I mean, I, because I think if nothing else, listen, what you've done the first four weekends has not worked. Just change it up and for the, just for the sake of changing it. Nobody's expecting you to go into games and win two of three or sweep for that matter, do anything of that sort. Change it up. Take a risk. Anyways, moving to some other news and notes um, before we get into listener questions. Darius Douglas, Gamecocks quarterback, enters the transfer portal. Um, was funny. actually heard about this over the weekend while I was in Columbia. Um, a friend of his, if you will, someone very close to him, basically talking about, let's just say this news is not surprising. A guy that, again, buried on the depth chart, a guy that uh, – you know, has some talent, but just came to South Carolina and was never really able to, you know, crack the depth chart, if you will. Um, and again, I just think a guy like that, you sort of know. I mean, you're never really going to see the field. You're behind, you're, behind, you're already behind Yurik, Kalinsky, Joyner, Bentley. You know, it's going to be tough for him. So that's the other little bit of news and notes. Darius Douglas enters the transfer portal. Let's get into your listener questions now. Um, got a lot of good ones. USC now 13. Who do you like more, Ryan Kalinsky or to carry on Joyner? Um, like them both. I, I don't really have favoritism towards one or the other, but uh, overall right now, I'd say Ryan Holinsky is your number two quarterback. I'd be very surprised if he wasn't. 
Um, Jim Taylor, 4,007. A lot of questions regarding this, by the way. What did you think of the quarterback play? Um, listen, you're not going to learn anything from Jake Bentley's performance on Saturday, I think. Jake Bentley, what he has to prove in 2019 – will be proved in a big game on the field. Not in a spring game, not in a practice, not in a scrimmage, none of that. Um, so, overall, I thought the quarterback play was fine. Um, capped underscore way. Who was the most impressive during the spring game? Uh, again, I'll say Keel Pollard. I, I just I, – I don't know what it is, man. I'm on that Keel Pollard train, man. I thought he was very, very impressive on Saturday. I think he can be a huge weapon for South Carolina. Um, let's see. Gamecock coverage asks, should Jay Urich and Bailey Hart be permanent at wide receiver? I mean, I think that's the best the best chance they have to get on the field. I think Bailey Hart is already a wide receiver, by the way. But Jay Urich, yeah, I mean, I definitely think for sure that Jay Urich should stay out there. I mean, you know, unless there's some huge progression we don't know about where he's going to be the number two quarterback, I think a guy with that type of athleticism, um, you know, needs to find his way on the field, no doubt. Uh, let's see, T underscore Hill 44, percentage that DeCarion Joyner sees the field as a quarterback. At, we'll just, uh, he didn't put this, but I guess at South Carolina. Um, I mean, I'd say it's good. I think the percentages are very good. I'd say it's 75%. I, I think they will put him in some sort of packages. Like, they've got to get him on the field. And if nothing else, I mean, I think he's going to play. I mean, I think he's going to play this year. Um, you know, I think he'll get some snaps. So, I think we'll definitely see him on the field again, but. You never know. If he comes in the number three quarterback in the fall, he could potentially transfer. You never really know. Um, Brant Farmer, here's a good question. Did the spring game change anything about your outlook on next season? Simply put, no, it did not. I just don't think there's really anything you can take away from a spring game that is going to tell you, up. Oh, that's the reason right there South Carolina is going nine and three instead of six and six. There's nothing to me that would, that would tell you that. Um, HLH 607, record for this year, and if we upset a top 25 team, who would it be? Uh, gun to head right now. I don't have the schedule pulled up in front of me, but overall I know the pretty schedule pretty well. But gun to head, I'm going to say this is a 6-6 six and six team just because of the schedule. Um, even though, listen, this is another topic for another top podcast, but I think – I don't know that the schedule will be as tough as everybody thinks it is. I think one of the teams that everybody thinks is going to be really good is going to have a down year. That's all I'll say. Um, if we upset a top 25 team, who would it be? Um, I mean, I think South Carolina's got a really good chance to beat Florida. I think they'll be a top 25 team. I think Texas A&M's a good chance to be the top 25 team. Um, Tennessee may be ranked, never know. But, uh, no, I, I think there are definitely a lot of opportunities and South Carolina will be the top 25 team in 2019. Um, Obi-Wan Kanoa, thoughts on the solid color end zones? Now, that's a good question. Um, I liked them. I don't like different colors in each end zone. I did like the colored end zones overall, though. Um, but I would definitely like fix the lettering, if you will. You need to put some sort of bordering on the lettering where it's not so black end zone white letters. Like it's just so plain on it. Like there needs to be some sort of outline on the letters. Like I think there's a way they could spruce it up. I mean, again, I think it was just something new and different for the spring game. Will they keep it for the season? I have no idea. But um, you know, I, I thought they were okay. I, 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 it's not something where if they don't keep it for the season, it's going to break my heart. Let's put it that way. So, I, But I did like them. I like it. And if you're going to do a color in zone, I personally think you should do Garnet. I just – I don't know. I, I know the blacks look cool, but I, I just – I'd prefer Garnet. I don't know. That's just me. Um, Austin G underscore 45, how good do you think our defense can be in 2019? I think South Carolina can field a very good defense. I think they will field – I think they will field 
the the best defense of the Wilmot Champion at South Carolina. I will say that. I think South Carolina will, because of the lumps they took last season. Now, that's if they can stay healthy. Again, we thought they'd be very good last year, and, man, they struggled just because due to injury. Um, if South Carolina can stay healthy, though, and certainly with the lumps they took last year, having to play all these young guys and play guys that, again, probably should have redshirted, but I think it's going to pay dividends for them this season. I think the South Carolina defense has a chance actually to be really, really, really good. Um, so, yeah, that's going to do it for the listener questions. Appreciate you guys leaving those. Um, all right, we've got a very, very special interview like I talked about. Phil Disher, former Gamecock slugger. Um, you guys probably remember him. He played for South Carolina back in the mid to late 2000s. Hit a ton of home runs for the Gamecocks. Was on that murderer – on those murderer row lineups for Ray Tanner. You remember Phil Disher, Justin Smoke, Reese Havens. Um, James Darnell, those guys, Phil Disher right in the middle of that, was also in the middle of South Carolina, hitting five home runs in Athens against Georgia. Have a phenomenal interview with him coming up, so please be sure to stick around. Before we get into it, again, it's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far. If you haven't done so, go download SeatGeek. Use that promo code SPURSUP. You're going to get $10 off of your first purchase. It's really that simple. Again, the promo code S-P-U-R-S-U-P. And remember, you can get tickets to anything from South Carolina sporting events to NHL, NBA, concerts, comedy club events. It doesn't even have to be sports. Literally anything and everything you need tickets to. Again, use our friends. Download their app, SeatGeek, and use the promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks baseball player Phil Disher. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 2005 to 2008. He was also selected in the MLB draft in 2008 as well by the Houston Astros in the 15th round. I want to welcome to the Spurs Up show Phil Disher. Phil, appreciate you taking the time. It's a pleasure to have you on. No, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. Absolutely. So we were talking a little bit off the air. Obviously, you played your high school baseball at South Aiken High School from the Aiken area. Um, talk about just kind of for you, you know, the recruiting process, if you will, because obviously you were a highly touted guy. Was it always South Carolina for you or um, were there other schools in play? Uh, you know, I grew up a South Carolina fan, so it was kind of always the school I wanted to go to. Um, I talked to a couple of schools, you know, around the state previous to them. Uh, but once they came in the picture, you know, my, my mind was, was made up. That was where I was going. It was kind of a dream come true. So, Absolutely. So you get on campus 2004. Um, you were redshirted. Obviously, you played under Coach Tanner. What was that conversation like when you got on campus? Was it always the plan to, you know, have you redshirt? Or was there an injury that played in the, went into play there? Or you just weren't ready to go? Or kind of what, what was that 2004 season like for you? Uh, you know, it was, it was a bit of a culmination of all those things. Um, you know, I knew coming in they had a, uh, you know, Landon Powell, who was going to catch every day, you know, top-run guy, uh, you know, best catcher in the country. Uh, so, you know, the chances of getting in the, in there right away were pretty slim. Uh, on top of it, I had a, a leg injury that, you know, I went ahead and got took care of. So, uh, and, you know, I really wasn't ready to go and, you know, play right away. So it was kind of, you know, in my best interest to, to red shirt and get a little better, get a little stronger, bigger, faster, and, you know, get ready to go that, that next year. Absolutely. So I mentioned Coach Tanner. Obviously, you know, it's funny, all the baseball guys we've had on, they all have, um, you know, their own uh, their own, own type of relationships, I guess you could say, with Coach Tanner. We've heard some hilarious stories <laughs> on how tough he was. Yeah. And definitely, we had Scott Wingo on, and, you know, it, it, that was a guy where <clears throat> Coach Tanner kind of loved to get on his back. We, we've had guys from different eras, too, talking about, like, Trey Dyson, someone I'm sure you know very, very well. Um, oh, yeah. You know, from the different eras, the early 2000s to the later, the national championship teams. Um, what was your relationship like with Coach Tanner? What do you remember most from playing under him? 
oh man he you know he made me who i was as a player um i'll say this he knows how to get the best out of everyone in in you know whatever type of way whether it be you know staying on them or you know patting them on the back or whatnot i was not a pat on the back type guy uh, so he stayed on me a good bit also um but you know he helped me out a ton and you know, i could have been the thing for for my career and you know uh for getting into the profession i'm in now so uh, it was awesome playing for him i thought it, you know when i was there that he he hated me more than anyone but uh, it was just his way of getting the best out of me did, did you ever feel like because this is something trey dyson talked about do you ever feel like like the guys because we had michael roth on our show as well and he talked about how tough ray tanner was and a lot of the uh the older Carolina baseball players we had on said, you, you have no idea what you're talking about. Ray Tanner was soft at the end of his, end of his coaching tenure. You think there's any truth to that at all? Or, uh, You know what? I was kind of the go between, between the, the older guys and the, and the younger guys. And during my tenure there uh, was when he actually had kids. So I think, I think it was right about my second or third year was when, uh, you know, his first, his first kids were born. And that was kind of when you saw a little bit of the softening. My first two years, it was, it was pretty tough on us. And then once the, once the kids came around, uh, you know, he started softening up a little bit. So I think, you know, him having some children and then kind of, you know, I think I softened him up a little bit. I mean, not too much, but it was a, it was a bit of a change. Absolutely. So, so moving into 2005, your redshirt freshman year, your first year actually getting on the field, hit two homers, 11 ribbies, 182 average, but only uh, in limited at bats, 44 at bats that first season. What was the biggest transition for you going from high school baseball to college baseball? Oh man, just uh, the the speed of the game, the you know the sharpness of of guys' off speed pitches. I was always kind of a guy who could who could hit a fastball, uh, but guys were able to you know throw plus off speed pitches and locate them. So having the you know the the sight adjustment of you know which ones to swing at, which ones not to, was kind of the biggest thing that I had to learn, uh, you know, from the high school to the college level. Absolutely. And then in the field as well, were you, you know, what was the plan for you coming into Carolina? Were you mainly primarily going to be, you know, the starting catcher? I know you DH'd a lot later in your career. I mean, what was kind of the plan as far as uh, your outlook in the field was concerned? You know, I came in as a catch and throw guy. I wasn't a super offensive guy um, out of high school. I was more defensive oriented, Um, but got to school, put some size on and kind of figured it out with the bat a little bit. So I kind of swung, uh, you know, what the path was as far as, you know, my, my playing time. I, I kind of went in thinking I was going to be a, a defensive guy and, you know, hit towards the bottom of the order and, you know, just be a guy who was, you know, behind the plate mostly uh, for my arm and, you know, defensive ability. But uh, figured it out a little bit and kind of made, you know, my mark as a, as a hitter more so than a, than a catcher. So it kind of flipped for me, but I'm not complaining at all. It was, it was great. Absolutely. So just kind of random topic here. You're a guy obviously that's still in the coaching ranks and a guy who's coached after your playing career. You've hit with wood bats. Um, how much do you miss hitting with those old stelts, the old bats that, that, that you guys used to have back in the day? Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. Uh, you know, it made, it made the game interesting because at any point, anybody could be the hero, you know, whether it be, you know, one of the big guys in the lineup or, or like you mentioned, the Scott Wingo, you know, 150 pounds. I mean, he could run one out of the yard with those old things. and It just made it fun. I mean, it probably did make it a little dangerous, but uh, it was a ton of fun, man. I, and anytime one of them pops back up, you know, somewhere, we always break it out and hit a little bit with it and just kind of reminisce about how much fun it was playing with those things. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I remember specifically, I think the orange stealth might be the, still the hottest bat to ever exist. I, I don't know. That, that bat was that bat was absurd. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it was lethal. Yeah, no it doubt. It was lethal. 
no doubt. So your career at South Carolina, Phil, you know, you increased in home runs every year, finished with 42 career bombs, 148 RBIs, um, hit 297 on your career. But your freshman year had two homers, six homers your sophomore year. Then you jumped all the way up to 15 your junior year and then 19 your senior year. Um, you know, you talked about kind of – you were a defensive guy coming in and you sort of found your swing going into college. And obviously you know now and definitely knew then. But in college, if you can hit, you're going to play. They're going to find somewhere to put you. It really doesn't matter. If you can hit, you're going to play. Um, what do you attribute, though, those those power numbers increasing year by year? Was it just you kind of learning how to become more so of a hitter? Did you change your swing a whole lot? What was it that Ray Tanner and this, those guys worked with you on the most? Uh, you know, the biggest thing for me was just – getting reps um in summer ball and you know at bats and kind of figuring out you know my my pitch selection and whatnot my swing was pretty much the same my my whole life but um you know Monty Lee was our was our our hitting coach at the time uh Clemson State guy now and you know he was just real big on uh you know getting good pitch to hit and finding the barrel as much as possible and uh you know early on in my career I, I tended to overswing a bit and then uh you know once I figured out that the more barrels I could find the more home runs the more you know runs I was going to drive in uh, I kind of toned it down a little bit and tried to make more contact uh, as possible. And, you know, that was kind of the biggest thing to help, help me out as far as, uh, you know, finding some confidence and knowing that, you know, I kind of belonged. Uh, I was just, you know, the more barrels I could find, uh, the more confident I got, and uh, the, the better I became. So. Absolutely. So that 2006 season, I don't want to skip over that season without talking about the Georgia game, which you guys hit five straight home runs. We had Drew Crisp on the show a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure a good friend of yours and a teammate. Um, but we had Drew Crisp on the show. You know, obviously he was one of the five when you guys hit five in a row in Athens. As someone that was watching from the dugout, Phil, what was that like? Because I, I know as a fan, obviously it's something that's almost incomprehensible. I'm sure the Georgia pitching staff also felt that way. But what was that like just seeing that in person happen? Oh, it was unreal, man. I, you know, uh, I forget what order it went in. I think it was Geisler, uh Smoke, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And I think it was uh, uh, Grindstaff, Crisp, and then – yeah, I don't – I'd have to pull I actually, it I actually hit the third one. Oh, that's right. I that's hit right. the third yeah. one. No, that's right, yeah. No, I, I apologize. I forgot about that. Yeah. No, no. We uh, we were actually going – we were going bananas after the first two. And then the third one, we was just kind of surreal. And the fourth and fifth ones, we were all just kind of looking at each other like, what is going on? Uh, You know, and then – Right after that, when the inning ended, we were like, hey, guys, pack the bags. We're going to Omaha. This is a wrap. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of – it was surreal, man, for real. It was, it was awesome. You know, it was something that I don't think had ever been done. I hadn't seen it done again yet. So it was – it's something that, some, you know, all the players always ask me about. They've all seen it on YouTube and whatnot. So all my, all my current players, all my former guys, they all ask about it. So, it's, it's, you know, it was an awesome experience. Absolutely. So, I, again, I apologize because it's funny. I got all the names screwed up with uh, the order in which it went in. I forgot that you hit the third one. What I mean, so after the first two get hit, I mean, are you going up to the plate thinking, like, is, is there any pressure on, like, hey, I'm trying to go yard here? I mean, are you thinking home run? Like, what, what are you thinking after you see back-to-back homers go out? Well, honestly, after Smoke hit the second one, uh, you know, he kind of pinched it a little bit. I thought I might be getting one in the back. So, <laughs> That was kind of in the forefront of my mind was, you know, there might be one coming at me. Uh, and then when I didn't get didn't get hit right off the bat, I was like, all right, well, I'm, I might need to try to exit the yard here, just keep this thing rolling. So, you know, it was definitely – it's something you think about, especially, you know, me and Smoke had a chance to go back-to-back a number of times. So, if he hit one in front of me, I always kind of thought, you know, I might need to try and, try and exit right here just so we can go back-to-back because it was always, you know, pretty fun to, to do that. But, 
uh, yeah, you know, after two, and you're definitely thinking, thinking about it. And then I got to guess the guys behind me were thinking the same thing, you know, got to keep this train rolling. And the crazy thing is the, the sixth one almost went out, too. I think it was Ian Patterson. Mm-hmm. He hit one yeah. that was caught right against the wall. <laughs> it was it was a couple of feet from going out. Yeah. No, I, I remember that specifically. I think it went like 380, and it was 390 to the fence, and it was crazy. Um, so, Phil, your junior season, you know, a lot of guys, I think, in college baseball, you know, everybody tells you your junior year is kind of your year to um, really show out, if you will. And, I mean, you did that. You had six homers, 17 RBIs, hit 262 your sophomore year. Jumped to your junior season, 15 homers, 63 RBIs, hit 328, your best average year in your career, earned third-team All-American honors from NCBWA, um, your first-team All-SEC, obviously. You know, talk about kind of what clicked for you. I'm sure experience obviously helped, like you said, getting those reps, but what do you attribute to making such a huge jump from your sophomore to junior season? Uh, you know, at the end of my sophomore year, I uh, – started playing kind of every day I think it was the last eight or ten games I started in a row so I had some confidence coming in after that year um came in and had a good fall and just you know thought I belonged had some good guys around me in the lineup you know Smoke, Darnell, Havens all those guys you know we were all kind of hitting their bunched up um so it kind of took a little bit of the pressure off me because I feel like a lot of times you know whoever was pitching against us you know, I saw all those guys together and then got to me and kind of took a deep breath. So I kind of was able to take advantage of that a lot of times where, you know, it felt like it, maybe it was a, a moment where they could relax a little bit. And then that's kind of how I feasted. And then as the season went on, you know, it was just kind of a rotation of who, who was most hot and was getting pitches at the time. So, uh, you know, that helped a ton and just, you know, being confident and knowing that, you know, Coach Tanner, Coach Lee, all those guys believed in me and felt that like I should have been, been there and, you know, having those guys, you know, have your back like that is, is tremendous confidence booster. And, you know, once you see some success, it's you know, easy to build upon it. So that's kind of where it came from. Absolutely. So I've definitely, you know, South Power and South Carolina have always been two things that have gone together, especially since, you know, Ray Tanner took over. He's been an advocate of power. His teams have always had power. And that's something you've even heard, you know, current head coach Mark Kingston preach on. We want to have power. You know, South Carolina baseball is known for that. Um, I, I heard from a friend that, you know, Ray Tanner used to say singles clog the bases. He likes to see the ball leave the yard. Is that – how much of that is true and how, how much of you guys, you know, would you say your game was at the plate, hey, we know we're going to hit home runs? Because I think it was one year you guys actually set the NCAA team record uh, for home runs in a season. But what, what was that philosophy like at the plate and under Ray Tanner specifically? Oh, he was absolutely an advocate of home runs. He wanted to see the ball leave the yard as much as possible. Um I've told tons of people this. There was multiple occasions where you know, he would call an offensive timeout from the dugout and wave you over and, you know, just straight up tell you, like, hey, we need you to hit a home run right here. We need you to try and leave the yard right here. Or, you know, he's even said as far as, you know, if you don't hit a home run right here, we're probably not going to win today. <laughs> so, you know, you go up there and you're, 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 you're trying for sure. Um, he, you know, he always stayed on my back about being slow. I didn't think I was that slow. But he thought I was, you know, tremendously slow. But he would always tell me, you know, he'd rather have me strike out than hit a single because I was just going to slow down the guys behind me. So it was, you know, for sure trying to take three swings and, you know, hit one on the softball field because it was instant offense. You know, he'd always say a bloop and a blast is all it takes and we got a couple runs. So <laughs> we're always a couple swings away from being right back in any ballgame. 
Absolutely. So you talked about those guys you played with, Justin Smoke, James Darnell, Reese Havens, you know, amongst others, really referred to as murderer's row. I think still to this day, I think Gamecock fans look back and look at that lineup, obviously yourself included, that really being murderer's row. I mean, what was that like hitting in that lineup? Did you guys ever kind of challenge each other as far as – because I can imagine, you know, I'm not sure if you guys were like in the same hitting group, but I I can just imagine like taking BP and stuff. Like that had to be a ton of fun probably going – you know, playing with those guys, being in the same hitting group with those guys. I'm sure you guys kind of kind of challenged each other, see who can hit the most home runs, stuff like that. I mean, what was that like? Oh, my goodness. It was it was highly competitive. It was the four of us in group one because, you know, smoke would switch it. And so it was technically five guys. So the four of us would hit in group one, and it was just every day, you know, you know banter, competition, just drawing back and forth at one another. You know, who could hit it the furthest, who could hit the most, who could, you know, do this or that or you know whatnot. We always are staying on each other. Um, you know, I still give Smoke a hard time about hitting all those midweek home runs of last year. Uh, I just call him SoCon Player of the Year. He hit all the midweek home runs. Leave the ones, leave the ones on the weekend for me. Uh, but yeah, we were super competitive. Uh, you know, it, it was it was fun. It was just we were able to feast upon that competitive nature with one another, and it kind of you know upped everybody's expectations. And every day we came to the field, whether it's batting practice or you know, getting ready to go in a game, it was, you know, super, super competitive, and it pushed us to that kind of elite level. Who would you say was the biggest shit talker of the group? Because I've heard Justin Smoke could uh, could could talk pretty good himself. So, who, who would you say was the uh, the biggest shit talker of you guys? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, you know, Smoke was Smoke would he could get it out. Um, you know, I have to say it was late. It was late, and I was only there with him for a year. But Wingo came in, man, that guy. He was something else. He, uh, you know, he he would talk. He would talk shit like he was six five, two forty, and and he and he wasn't. But he was man. He would dish it out to everyone, and it was constant. It was, you know, no matter what mood anybody was in, Wingo was going to be on. So it was, he was awesome. It was fun. It was fun to have him around. No doubt. So obviously, again, you had a monster junior season. Um, a lot of guys elect to make that decision to jump to the MLB ranks. Obviously, I'm sure you had a ton of scouts, ton of looks. I'm not. 100% sure you can correct me if I'm wrong kind of what round you were drafting after your junior season but what was the decision like to come back to school for your senior year I mean obviously knowing you didn't have to I mean, what kind of went into that decision for you you know we had um we had a really good lineup coming back um you know with all those guys uh some young guys coming in and uh, you know it was you know getting beat out in that super regional my junior year I uh, was kind of you know a bitter taste in your mouth so uh, I just wanted to come back and, you know, try and chase down a national championship and, uh, you know, have another year to play with those guys. And, uh, you know, I'd gone late in the draft, I think 45th round my, my junior year. Uh, so it wasn't, you know, a tremendous monetary, op- you know, opportunity for me or anything. And I wanted to finish up my degree and, and then having another year to just play college baseball, man, I couldn't, I couldn't turn it down. So, you know, it was, it was a great decision on my part. And I'm, I'm glad I came back and finished up. Absolutely. So, again, you return in 2008, have another fantastic year, your best home run year of your career, 19 bombs in 2008, 57 ribbies, um, hit 297, which is what your career average was, ironically. Um, one thing I didn't really talk about, you were a great – like you said, you took a lot of pride in your fielding. And I know you dh a lot later in your career, but literally you finished with a 998 fielding percentage. Um, just talk about kind of your strengths as a fielder, you know, you, you, I feel like it, to be a good fielder, you have to take a lot of pride in it. You know what I mean? So just kind of talk about um, 
you know, what, you know, your focuses were defensively and what do you think made you such a good defender? Uh, you know, man, just, you know, being behind the plate, it was just, you know, trying to catch as many pitches as possible. Uh, my, my strongest thing behind the, behind the plate was my arm. So I really, really liked to throw and, and it took a lot of pride in it. It, took, it caught a ton of bullpens. And I think that was the best thing in the world for any catcher is just, you know, catching a ton of bullpens, which I think I caught every bullpen my redshirt freshman year. Uh, so that helped a ton and just, you know, taking pride, working hard while you're back there catching bullpens and, you know, treating it like a game was just the biggest thing for me. Uh, you know, blocking pitches when you didn't have to and just kind of, you know, staying with it every day and just kind of grinding it out, even though, you know, it's not the most ideal thing. But, you know, just just really sticking to the grind and, and working hard like it's the game every day is kind of my thing. Absolutely. So, 2008, you mentioned you guys lost out in the Super Regionals in 2007. Um, during your tenure, during your career, you guys never made it to Omaha. Um, how shocking was that for you? Because, I mean, again, I know as a, from a fan's perspective, people look back on those teams and just think to themselves, how did none of those teams ever make it to Omaha with all of that talent in the lineup? And, I mean, you look, you know, you look at guys that, like, you know, pretty much a ton of guys, more than you can name, went on to play some form of professional baseball, whether it be in the minor leagues. But then you look at, like, Justin Smoke, what he's doing at the professional level, Steve Pierce. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of former Gamecocks that are at the professional level. Um, Sam Dyson, I think, as well. But when you look back on your career, I mean, is it hard to fathom that you guys never made a trip to Omaha with all that talent? Oh, man, the, the 06, 07, those teams, we we had a ton of talented guys on those teams. And, you know, especially uh, the 06 team and 07, man, it was – you see all those names and you, you know how talented all those guys were. And it was just – it was just baffling how, we, you know, we didn't end up. You know, a couple of super regionals in a row. I think we, I think we won on Friday, maybe both years in super regionals in a row, uh, which you know most of the time if you win on Friday you end up going, and and neither time we we ended up there. So it was kind of, it was shocking that we didn't, um, you know, but you know it happens. It, uh, it's a strange game, you know, uh, and anybody can eat, beat anybody in any given day, and that's kind that's kind of what happened uh, both those years. So you know, looking back, it's it is it is nuts that we didn't make it, but. You know, the former teams were able to and win a couple in a row. So that was it was awesome to watch and you know, you know, feel like you're a part of it. So, you know, I got no regrets there. No, absolutely. So uh, that was kind of my next question. You obviously being an alumni, um, you know, watching you know, I, I definitely say that you guys, you know, I think all the South Carolina teams before those national title teams definitely laid the foundation and kind of laid the expectation of what South Carolina baseball is. You know, Ray Tanner I think said it best is that you know, players change, rosters change, but the expectations don't. I think you guys kind of set the precedent for that. Um, but being an alumni, yeah, watching South Carolina in 2010, 2011, win back-to-back College World Series, and then 2012, I mean, make it for three straight years in a row. And that is something amazing itself. You know, how much pride did you take in that, being an alumni? Oh, man, we're just super, super proud of those guys. And, you know, I think I watched every pitch of those College World Series games. Um, you know, all three years in a row, it was just, you know, when it was on, it was, you were glued to the TV and, uh, you know, couldn't be happy for those guys. You know, the first couple of years, you, you still knew a handful of guys on the team. Um, I Obviously, as the years have gone, I don't know as many guys anymore, but mm. those first couple of years, seeing those guys you knew and you played with and, you know, you still talk to and seeing them win those championships, it was, it was awesome. And I couldn't have been happier for them. I was just super proud and just, you know, I had all this merchandise, the shirts and the cups and everything at the house and walking <laughs> around with them, carrying them around. It was, you know, it was great. It was great. 
Yeah, going back, going back to your relationship with Ray Tanner, I, I can't even imagine how happy you had to be for your former head coach. Obviously, you know, I mean, got to South Carolina, what, 1997, and finally in 2010, you know, finally getting the, the ultimate prize. What's your relationship been like with him after baseball, after your career at South Carolina? Do you still talk to him a lot? Or? Yeah, I still, I still talk to him. Um, you know, I lean on him for a ton of advice when it comes to coaching. Uh, you know, him being in the profession for so long and, you know, he's never, he's never steered me wrong. So anytime I have any kind of question about you know, anything professionally, I, you know, I call him, I, I still talk to him via text as much as possible. Uh, he's a busy guy, but, you know, he, he always gets back to you. Um, and he, you know, I just can't thank him enough for what he's done for me, not only, you know, as a player, as an individual, but also, you know, helping me out uh, in the coaching world, you know, he's, you know, he'll put his name on your back and, you know, uh, you know, write a, write, a, write a letter of recommendation or, or whatnot, make a call for you anytime that you, that you need. Uh, and he's just, you know, he's a special guy. Can't thank him enough. Absolutely. So going back to your senior year real quick, obviously in the 2008 MLB draft, you were taken 15th round by the Houston Astros. Um, you know, as a kid growing up playing baseball, it's something you kind of always dream about, obviously getting the opportunity to play professional baseball. Talk about what you're, what you uh, remember from that day. You got that phone call knowing you're going to be a professional baseball player. You know, uh, I had a feeling I was going to get, you know, drafted at some point. Didn't, didn't really know where the draft was a fickle thing. Um, was kind of sitting down, you know, watching the, watching the draft, uh, ticker on the, on the internet. Uh, and my name popped up with the Astros and I hadn't even, I hadn't even really talked to him. I talked to some other teams, you know, uh, and I think I maybe filled out one, one questionnaire for the Astros. So it kind of came out of nowhere. And I and, and also was drafted as a first baseman and had never taken a ground ball literally in my life. So it was kind of shocking. I thought they made a mistake at first, uh, but then got a call from a scout, you know, a couple minutes after it popped up and, you know, they told me it was, uh, it was what it was going to be. So it was, it was, it was kind of awesome. I was, you know, pumped and super excited and, was able to you know go celebrate with my friends and family and it was just a tremendously joyful day absolutely so you know forgive me for not having I guess a little bit more informed but I've got your minor league stats pulled up 2008 you absolutely crushed it obviously you were at a you were at low a um hit 304 though um had a really really good year 13 homers 56 RBIs 2009 looks like your numbers dropped off tell just Kind of give me a recollection of your minor league career. Did you deal with some injuries that maybe cut your career short, or just kind of what was your overall experience in the minor leagues in general? Yeah, uh, my first year in the Penn League, uh, you know, I was uh, organizational MVP with the Astros and had a tremendous first year. Actually, um, went to Instructs afterwards. Uh, you know, was invited to instructional camp and uh, fractured my hip, uh, which ultimately led to a couple surgeries, and I tried to come back that next year and wasn't able to play so I had to you know shut it down had another surgery um and then went back to spring training in 2010 and still wasn't able to able to play so I had to had to retire on April 1st of 2010 and uh I since actually had both my hips replaced so I had two titanium hips now so that was kind of what ultimately took me out Absolutely. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I was wondering because I was like, man, like he crushed it that first year. But no, definitely the injuries. Um, I guess it was too, you know, obviously you deal with injuries. I guess it was just too much to come back from as far as the uh, the injuries you were dealing with and stuff like that. How, how tough was it to walk, you know, make the decision to just kind of walk away, you know, not from the game totally because obviously you're still coaching now. But how was it, how tough was it to walk away from the game as far as a player player was concerned? You know, it was, it was pretty tough. I, I had a couple different surgeries to, to try and alleviate the pain. Um, and it got to where I could kind of manage it, but, 
just had to really change who I was as a player. I was, you know, hitting a ton of singles. I couldn't really lift the ball anymore. And it was just kind of a realization, like, man, you know, there's not a not a ton of room for a slap hitting first base. And um, I kind of, you know, looked at myself and said, yeah, you know, the pain kind of stinks. And, uh, you know, I don't know how, how much need they're going to have for a guy who can't really hit balls out of the yard anymore. So, um, you know, went in and told him and, you know, it was, it was a tough decision, but it was ultimately the right one because I was able to get into coaching a lot quicker. So, um, you know, I can't complain. Um, still doing what I love. So it's been, it's been a blessing. Absolutely. So talk about kind of, obviously, again, you've bounced around. You're now at Georgetown, you're mentioning as a coach. Just talk about sort of what you've learned the most being on the other side of the game, um, being a coach and kind of where you hope to take it. If it's something maybe you want to be a head coach one day or just sort of what your plans are with that. Yeah, you know, I'd love to ultimately be a head coach somewhere one day. Um, I actually started off at Wofford. Uh, was my first job. I went from Wofford to Georgetown. Um, was here for a couple of years, and then went from Georgetown to USC Aiken. Uh, uh, you know, D two school back where I'm from in Aiken, South Carolina, uh, in the Peach Belt. I uh, was there for a couple of years, and, and then came back to Georgetown. So, um, you know, I've seen a little bit of all kind of aspects of the game. Um, you know, both up and down the East Coast. Um, and you know, I think the biggest thing I've learned is, uh, you know, you got to treat each player differently. It, it, you know, Coach Tanner did a tremendous job of reading each guy and knowing how to coach that guy. And, you know, it's been something that I've learned that each guy is different and there's no cookie cutter way to, to coach a guy. And, you know, you got to kind of figure out what makes each guy tick. And, you know, as you're learning what each, what makes each guy tick, it's, uh, you know, it's also important to, to you know, make them know that you care because, you know, the kids don't really know what you – or don't care what you know until they know that you care about them. So, you know, just making those kids know how much you care about them and, and, and figuring out how to coach each one of them has kind of been the biggest thing. And, you know, ultimately I'd like to, to be a head coach one day, but, you know, those opportunities are getting a little bit tougher nowadays as, as there's been more and more money in the in the college ranks. So, uh, just holding out and just kind of paying my dues and we'll see what comes along. Absolutely. So going back to your South Carolina career real quick, Phil, um, you know, I always ask this because I think everybody has a different experience and it's fun to kind of hear the stories, but uh, you know, you obviously played against the Clemson Tigers, South Carolina's hated rival. What do you remember most um, from that rivalry, a rivalry, which I think most people who know college baseball would say it's the best rivalry in college baseball. Oh, it's tremendous. And it's a, uh, it's super intense because you know, everyone on both sides, uh, the fans know everything about, you know, your personal life, your, your your girlfriends, your sisters, your your mom's name, and you know, it's a uh, there's a lot of jawing back and forth, and it's just from pitch one, it's just super intense. The atmosphere is you know, extremely hype, and it's it's a ton of fun to play in. Um, you know, we had a, a bunch of success over them while I was while I was in school. I think we I think we might have swept them two years in a row. I, I know at least one year because I remember Harley Lale running off the field holding up four fingers that we had swept them four games that year. Um, but yeah, we, it was fun. You know, it was a great time. Um, uh, man, those games are always intense, always fun. Uh, it is by far the best rivalry in college baseball, for sure. So. No doubt. So before I let you go, Phil, obviously we're a Gamecock show, so I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite memory? Um, or actually, we'll say a two-part question. First off, what's your favorite memory from South Carolina? And then second, if you have any good, funny uh, Ray Tanner stories that you can, you can share on the airwaves. Oh, my favorite memory – Man, I think we already probably touched upon it. Um, you know, it was just the five home runs in a row at Georgia. Just, you know, that being a super regional on TV, you know, and, and something that, you know, is still so memorable. 
uh, that probably, you know, is my favorite one, uh, just cause it was, you know, it was awesome and it was, you know, everyone still knows about it. And so that's probably my favorite memory. Coach Tanner stories. My goodness. There's so many of them. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I think one of my favorite ones was we, we were playing at the SEC tournament, um, playing Kentucky, I believe. And we had a guy named John Willard who I think he had six or seven pinch hit home runs his last year. And John would, he would constantly get yelled at by coach Tanner. And, uh, he wasn't in the game at this point, but we needed a pinch hitter and coach Tanner started yelling for him. And John was actually behind one of the fans in the dugout talking like Darth Vader and, and spitting sunflower seeds at to so shoot at people through the fan. So when coach Tanner finally found him, he was screaming at him to go pinch hit. And John didn't have any of this stuff, no bad gloves, anything. So he was literally just picking up stuff as he walked down the bench, no practice swings. Walked straight in the batter's box and hit the first pitch out the dead center field. <laughs> Came back in the dugout and went right back behind the fan and started talking like Darth Vader again. And he didn't know that he was he was pinch hitting for one another outfielder. So the inning started the next inning, and there's no left fielder because John is still in the dugout. So Coach Tanner absolutely just is undressing him, you know, until he finds all the stuff and sprints out to left field. And we were just dying laughing because he was so furious at him. And then after the game, they were all live feed, um, uh, inter- you know, post-game interview. It was a live feed on TV. And we were watching it on the bus. And John accidentally swore on the live feed when they asked him about the pitch because they thought he had the pitches or something. Mm. And he swore on TV. I've never seen Coach Tanner so angry in my life. He was just staring a hole in him. And I have no idea what was said to him afterwards, but John got on the bus and he looked like a, a whipped puppy. And he just sat down and was so sad. And he was like, man, he just really dug into me. That I think was one of my favorite ones. So. <laughs> That's awesome. That, 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 is, that is a great story. That, that is awesome to hear. Um, all right. Well, perfect. Well, Phil, we obviously appreciate you taking the time. Obviously, uh, definitely want to say we appreciate what you did for Gamecock Nation, obviously being in murderer's row. I mean, I know you, I can speak for – I think pretty much all Gamecock fans, when I say it was a blast to watch you guys and watch you in particular knock balls out of the yard, especially out of the out of good old Sarge Fry. So we uh, we appreciate you taking the time and coming on the show, man. It was a blast. Let's do it again sometime for sure. Yeah, for sure, man. Anytime. Absolutely. So I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next week with another episode of the Spurs Up Show.